It's getting back to the like texty. Okay. I actually bought stuff. a sitter in Israel to fit right in my oh, purse. Oh, that's it's that yeah. I have one. <laughs> Not I mean, that I one. I always yeah. had one, but it, I I was like that's it because I forgot mine at home. Right. It's nice to have one that's just there, you know. Yeah, the new another one in the house. Okay, so Malbi Sharmumim still is like the marathon of clothing. But but here's where yeah, gets gets very cool and interesting. So Hashem said to to Adam and Chava, Ayeka, Ayomer Lo Ayeka, where are you? Right, they're hiding, whatever. Where are you? So the Orachim says the fact that Hashem said, where are you, tells us that when the Pasuk said their eyes were opened, what it means is they felt their sins. They felt that their level had gone down. Um, they could feel the effect of the actions. And therefore, when Hashem said, where are you, the answer that, that Adam gave is in those terms. So he says... I could tell that I was bare and I was hiding, right? You're hiding because there's something you don't want seen because you, right, that he could feel that there was a change, something, something that was different. And the change was the nakedness, not so much of clothing, but of Kedusha. Mm. Because it does, and, and you can, there's sort of a proof of that from the way the Pesukim are because they made clothing for themselves. So what are you hiding, right? They, it says like they used leaves to make clothing, to make some kind of garments. Then why would you be hiding anymore? But they're still hiding. So the problem, their real problem wasn't the physical nakedness. That was a problem, but that was because of the sense of being spiritually bare. The, the Gras says something along those lines, which is that what he felt was that he had lost the revelation of the Shechina. And that's reflected. This is the day for it. Don't worry. I just got here. <laughs> when Adam says, I heard, I heard your voice in, in the garden. What do you mean you heard the voice in the garden? He says, I heard your voice in the garden as I was ashamed. The Vilna Gon says, because I realized that I wasn't seeing revelation of Shechina. I was just hearing you as if you were somewhere in the distance. Mm. That's a distance that didn't exist before for Adam, which is an incredible insight into that little passage there. Uh, it's an incredibly different way of understanding it. Not I heard and so I ran and fled from you. Mm -hmm. It's that I heard your voice as if coming from across the garden. And I always felt that you were right here, revealed to me, not only hearing, but seeing. It was absolutely, right? When we talk about the revelation of the Shekhinah, it's something you could point to, like at the crossing of the Red Sea, Zekeli Vehu. this is my God, I will glorify him. It means the revelation is so clear you can see it. And now he didn't see it, he heard it. And, you know, for us, that would be a big step up. But for Adam, that was a big step down. And all of a sudden, that, that, and so he hid, because he realized that there was something to be ashamed of. He wasn't where he had been. The, 
I think it's the Nefesh Achaim. I'm just not sure. It's in, I think it is in the Sefer Nefesh Achaim. That you can conceptualize the effect, one way to conceptualize the effect of doing mitzvos versus doing averas is putting on and off clothing for the soul. There actually was a reference to this in one of Rabbi Goldberg's shiurim. He could quoted Rav Dessler. Um, I may have a reference from that quote from Rav Dessler here somewhere. He had quoted Rav Dessler about the, the clothing of the neshama of a tzaddik. Is that like, ha, is from the teaching, teaching people, the people he's taught Torah to, like something like that, right? This sounds like a very similar concept, right? That a person in, in doing mitzvos is clothing his soul with kedusha, And in not, you know, in doing the wrong thing is like removing or, da- or putting on some kind of negative garments. That would be, in the, that terminology, the sort of Kabbalistic terminology would be called like a klipa, although klipa is a broad term, right? But some kind of damaged damaged clothing, and here's, you know, you have the opportunity to put on some kind of beautiful garments, which on the surface of it, when you hear something like that, I mean, either you're this sort of spiritual fuzzy-wuzzy person who just likes to hear that sort of thing, or you're not, and you're like, well, that sounds good, but what does it mean? Mm-hmm. How does that help? But now let's go back to some of the conversations we've had about the kind of two key elements to self-identity, non-Kabbalistic language, right? where our self-identity has to be built on two parts. Level one, the real foundation is the Elokai Neshama Shonosatza Tahorahi, that my soul is created by God, it's a reflection of God, it's even a piece of God according to the way that, you know, I don't know what that means, but an extension of God, and it's untouchable. It's untouchably pure. Neshama Shonosatza Tahorahi. I can always say with certainty that I have value I have actual value as a human being because I have a pure soul that God put into me, and it's pure. And no matter what I've done underneath it all, I have a pure soul. It's like a diamond. You can get it really dirty, but you can also just wash it off. And you still have this gorgeous diamond. You haven't lost any of the value of the diamond. Okay. On top of that layer, then, we have also an aspect of self-identity that has to do with, our, with what we've done. And there's an avoda there as well. Um, to learning what things to value, things that we have control over, maybe our choices more than our results sometimes, right? This element of what we've done, what we've chosen, who we have made ourselves through our desire to be close to Hashem. This, the, who we make ourselves is the second piece of who Hashem has made us. And those are two. And it's important to recognize each of them because... If I only value what I've done or what I've chosen without recognizing that there's an inherent value, then I become extremely perfectionist. And I'm always on the verge of of being invalidated because if I start failing or start doing a bad job, I'm worthless. Could you say that one more time? Yeah, if I don't believe that I have inherent untouchable value because my soul is just pure no matter what, there's that diamond in there then what it means is everything relies on how well I'm doing. If everything, if all of my value relies on what I've made myself, then it's possible for me to get to a state where I have no worth at all, or only a, a negative worth, God forbid, right? I, I'm a failure. And that's Nobody loves me. It's, it's, an, it's an aspect of perfectionism, right? Rabbi Orlowick 
is here, I think, right now. I can't believe I'm running and leaving, um, right? Having difficulty distinguishing between who you are and what you do is the definition of a perfectionist. <laughs> and, and does that, um, I don't, I'm sorry, I'm it's okay. diverging from it. Is that something that sometimes a characteristic trait that you could be born with, or is it something that gets instilled in you as you grow up? I think I think you could definitely it could have either one, the other, or a combination. You could definitely just be born that way. Okay. And and often it will have some very positive looking outcomes. You know, it makes you hardworking and you're responsible and you try and do a really good job and all of that is wonderful. But you're actually always on the verge of being a complete failure, and worthless and maybe even suicidal. God forbid, because my, your life's not worth anything because now you've everything's wrong and you've done everything wrong and made all the wrong choices. What if someone actually does start going down a bad path, right? If your only value yeah, is the yeah, choice, yeah, if yeah. that's your only value, there's no inherent value just because you exist, right? It's also a dangerous place to be. And vice versa, by the way, only having the value of the soul and not attributing any value to your choices and your actions makes yeah. it that your choices and actions don't mean anything. They have no value, so why bother? That's also depressing, yeah. right? Either way you go, it can be pretty depressing. Uh, but, the, but there's a road to healthy happiness, which is both of them. Uh -huh. okay. The level one foundation you do have to build is the, is the trusting in God that he made me and he loves me, <clears throat> right? Because if I have that inherent value, then he loves me no matter what. It's good to fall back. It, it is your safety net. Right. It is absolutely your safety net because no matter how bad it gets, you know, you know that you still have value. And there's always something you can build on. The fact that you have that value means it's never too late to, keep, to try and make better choices. These two things feed to the positive on each other. Okay, so now let's, look, let's think about what I just quoted, that like spiritual, hazy, cloudy, right? Your good deeds are a clothing for your soul. Your deeds are a clothing for your soul. And if they're mitzvos, then they're clothing of kedusha. If they're averos, God forbid, they're kabbalistically klipa. Okay, whatever. I don't have to understand what that means. I can translate that, though, now into terms that are actually relevant. This is not just in the clouds, you know, smoke a hookah, feel chilled, relaxed, and like the sound of spirituality. This is something very practical and very real. Mm -hmm. There's a neshama that's untouchable, that doesn't change. It's, it's the traffic. I was also late. <laughs> it's not. Michelle's been holding the fort here for us. Literally, she was here going, where is everybody? Um, this, this is a practical thing for my life. I have a soul that's pure. My deeds are the clothing of my soul, right? So in the same way that when I look at, if I look at somebody or if I look in the mirror, right, I see who I, there's underneath so the body, let's say, right? That's, okay, nowadays we attribute a lot of that into control of people, right? You can have plastic surgery and you can work out and you can, but, you know, it's kind of the body you were born with more or less, but then there's the clothing that you put on it and that also adds to the beauty of how you look. Your soul is like that too. The soul is perfect and is pure and is untouchably beautiful. And yet, in some way, there is a clothing, a dressing of kedusha 
that, is, that it is added and enhances and make that soul even more beautiful for ourselves to see when we're able to see that and for Hashem to see, which you can always see. Okay, Adam had also a sensitivity to that, right? He's realizing, oh my gosh, I'm not clothed in the kadusha I had. Mm-hmm. But, but that's taking something that's very like kind of spiritual sounding and saying, well, how does that, how can I relate to that in a practical way? You know, it's interesting that you said that too because we've all met people who are just such good people and they just are so, become so beautiful. It doesn't matter what they look like. Yeah. They're so beautiful because you see how like good they are by their deeds and their mitzvot yeah. or whatever it is. And then you see people who it's a facade. You know, they might have yeah. fancy clothing, but... Right. They have, like, they, a perfect face, but you feel uncomfortable even looking at them sometimes. Yeah, because they're, yeah. they're just not necessarily... Good. I saw a really beautiful essay from Ruf Scheinberg, which we'll, we'll get at, I'm sure, somewhere along mm-hmm. the way here, about chen. What is this thing called chen that Esther had, that Yosef had? It's translated as grace, but what is it? He says, chen is what you see on someone. It's what, like, shines out of them when they look at other people to see their pain and suffering and are willing to get into it with them. The way that, like, with Moshe, where mm-hmm. Moshe looked at his brethren and, and went into the pain with them. was he, he gave his eyes and his heart to be suffering in there with them. Mm-hmm. Right? He didn't shy away from that and say, oh, my gosh, I, I can't deal with that. Right? He went in with them, helped carry the burden, which Rav Scheinberg is talking about in terms of that is for Geula. In order for a person to help catalyze redemption, that's a required trait. And there's this sort of incidental result of it, which is that other people perceive that person as having chen. I'm sorry, I just have yeah. a subject. It's an, it's an interesting topic, I maybe like, as we get closer just, to porn. I just like the line <laughs> here, my deeds are the clothing of the soul. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's pretty spectacular. Okay. Now I'm quoting to you, let's see if I have the actual quote listed here, from the Bracious Rabba, the Medrash. In the Torah of Rabbi Meir, Matsu Kasuv, they found that it said, Kosnos Or. Okay, so the clothing that they had was really the second line. What the Pasuk says in our Torahs is Or, which means leather, and is related to the word Iver, to someone who's blind. We won't spend time on that. We talked about it in Pokeach Ivrim, the connection between the skin and the sight. Kosnos or God made them clothing of leather or skins. But in the Torah of Rabbi Meir, they found that he had written Kosnos or with an olive. That's the first one, clothing of light. God made them clothing of light. Now, this is not saying that there's a discrepancy <coughs> in the tradition of what the word is in the Torah. The thing is that Rabbi Meir made like a comment. I, um, I think, I'm trying to remember if it's Rav Schwab or Rav Hirsch describes it as like, you know, he, he had like notations in his Sefer Torah that he had notated it as or. Not that he was arguing about what the word is supposed to be from, you know, as given to Moses on Sinai. Elu begadav shal Adam harishon. Clothing of light. That's the clothing of Adam harishon. It shines out, you know, like a torch, like a like a light, this clothing. So, you know, I've heard Rabbi Tatz describes that Adam Harishon himself had this tremendous light that shone from him. 
um, he, it's related to the light of Moshe's face, right, when he became so spiritualized. He says, Adam Harisha, we, you know, we have no concept. We talk about his sin mostly, <laughs> Nebuch, right? Because Adam, even after his death, so you're talking about now a shell of a body, it says that somebody saw the heel, which is the lowest part of the body, mm -hmm. the heel of Adam after he died, and it was like a blinding light, like looking directly at the sun. Now this is Adam's heel after he's died, after the sin. Like we have no concept of, of even what kind of human Adam was, Adam and Chava. We, we really can't conceptualize. We only have these little bits. I mean, this is part of Parsha's Bereshus. We can't really conceptualize the creation of the world either. This is a creation of humanity. So there's something huge happening here. But he says, Kosnos or, what God gave them, this is the clothing of light. And this clothing was used later by the Bechoros. So you may have heard the idea that um, Asav, right, when he killed Nimrod, he got, or Nimrod, he got the clothing from Adam Harishon. And that was why when Rivka loaned it to Yaakov and he walked into Yitzchak, Yitzchak smelled the smell of Gan Eden. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This clothing that Hashem had made for Adam. Right. That's impressive. That's he, some special clothes. That he could smell Gan Eden even though... It still persisted. Yeah. Like how did he smells know? another amazing... Smells another amazing uh, quality. Like genetic thing. Smell is the... Smell is the scent that wasn't taken down. It wasn't affected by the chait, in mm. particular, because it wasn't used in the chait. All the other senses, mm. you see that she saw, that it would taste good. There's, uh, she's listening to the snake. But the sense of smell wasn't used and wasn't, therefore, the sense of smell doesn't cause as, there isn't as much of a filter in our mind from the sense of smell to the interpretation in the mind. So when you smell things, it can evoke a very strong response. Even because something you've never experienced. Yeah, so I don't know like that Yaakov had no experience with what Ben Adam would I smell. Mean, I have no true. idea what he was exposed to. Yeah. But, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. That's but he definitely recognized it when he smelled it. You know, it's funny. There are certain smells that we seem to be hardwired for, like smoke. Right? There are certain smells right. that you're a little bit hardwired that they're dangerous, even without learning, and then there's ones you learn. And same thing with tastes. There are things that will make you throw up because it's implanted into us as protection. They're, they're really dangerous for us. Right? There are things that, like your body, will just vomit them out because they're not, they're not good for you. Right? That can be a positive if you're trying to get somebody to get rid of another poison. or You, know, you can use something like that. So it's a part to why shouldn't there be things that we can smell that we just... No, we just aren't exposed to those things, so we don't really realize, you know. But if we were exposed to it, maybe we'd also know. Reach and Ruach, very closely associated. Okay. Hashem made this clothing for Adam and his wife as honor for them. Okay, so now I start talking about garments of ore, garments of light, right. and recognizing that there's a connection here with the mitzvos. Okay, so think through the process of what we know about Gan Eden, that the result, 
there wasn't a curse put on mankind. Nowhere does Hashem say, Arur Adam, Arur Chava. Never. The land is Arur, right? We talked about it's not really being cursed. It means it's sort of infertile. Um, the land gets Arur responded, um, applied to it. The snake gets Arur applied to it, but not Adam and Chava. What Adam and Chava get is this thing called Itzavon, this, this frustrating situation where sometimes in order to work hard and achieve what you need to achieve, you have to give up on other things. You have to sacrifice certain things to get other things. You can't, sometimes you have to give up a certain pleasure. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Mm -hmm. Like you have to give up a certain pleasure in order to be able to achieve a greater pleasure. That was not the, the original state. The original state of the world and the perfected state of the world in the future is tam ha'etz ketam ha'pri. The flavor of the tree is the same as the flavor of the fruit. Right? So if you think about a tree, there's all this tree, there's all the pushing against, you know, it, it grows and it takes a really long time. Our experience of a tree is that the bark and the trunk and the branches don't have flavor. <clears throat> that the process of growing and developing and becoming big doesn't have a nice sweet flavor. What does is the fruits, the result that comes out of it and that has within it the seed to perpetuate and go into eternity. That's sweet. And so we work hard at jobs that maybe aren't always so satisfying and we stick with difficulties like child raising and all these things. And we do them because the tamha pri is worth it. Mm. It is worth it, mm. right? Mm. Like, elu devarim shatam ochel perusehem ba'olam hazeva karen kayem alam haba, right? Like there's a fruit, so the fruit contains within it some, so when the tamha eats is ketamha pri, when the taste of the tree is the same as the taste of the fruit, you have a perfected environment. You have a perfected situation where you have the sweetness of the process as much as the sweetness of the result. That's amazing, but that's not the world we live in because now we've got these, these distances made between us and the spirituality. So we can't just have the pleasure of that, right? We have to have a tasteless tree to get to a sweet fruit. That's itzavon on, on all different levels. That's itzavon. So what that means is that there's work. God made them clothing garments of light, garments of kedusha, garments of mitzvos. Instead of one mitzvah, now there's going to be a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of mitzvos. Adam now gets six mitzvos, right? He's going to go out there and have more ways to clothe his soul. That's a gift. The something are the, the mitzvahs are like a clothing to the soul. Uh -huh. So this is kind of, that's what we just talked about, but yeah. this idea that that's the gar they're the garments of the soul. <clears throat> okay. Just to bring a point that we talked about with pokeach ivrim, right, without <laughs> going over all of those. The, when you compare or and or, or meaning light and or meaning skins or iver, blindness, the Aleph, Aleph in general, that letter Aleph, <coughs> refers to revelation of truth. Revelation of the absolute pure inner truth. So it's, it's the anochius, who I really am, right? That word anochi with the Aleph is often what's actually hinted to by the presence of an Aleph at all somewhere. Here's a great example. Galus is exile, right? The hard part, galut. 
Legalot means to reveal, though. Legalot is to reveal something. It's a process of revealing. So something is hidden, but it's a process of revealing. Galgal, legalgel, is to roll something, right? Because like, like a vayagel is that Yaakov rolled the stone off so you could get to the water underneath. <coughs> Excuse me, in the well. And Aleph in the middle. So when you have galut, gal, but then you add the Aleph to it, in the middle you have gaal, that's geula, that's redemption. It's the revelation of the Aleph that's in the middle. In the word galut, it's hidden. You don't see it at all, right? Because that's the process where it's hidden, and now you're trying to reveal it. Once it is revealed, you have geula. Okay, you have this, this comes up in a lot of different words. This comes up in a lot of words, where the presence of the Aleph is the presence of a revealed revealed who I really am. Okay? When, I, when you see an olive, generally it means think about anochiyut. So that's there. It says olive, revelation of truth, emet is olive, of Hashem's presence. Okay. Whereas iver or 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 blindness is where the surface blinds us from seeing the truth. The skin which, which covers up what's inside. Sometimes that would be good. Right? You don't really maybe want to see everything that was in there, right? But that's what skin does. It covers up that which is inside. If something has a skin on it, same thing, right? So these, the garments of skins versus garments of light. It's a situation where now things are hidden. You can't see the real self. You can't see, right? And at the same time, Robbie Mayer is saying, God also gave them garments of light. They're spiritual garments. That's the mitzvahs. Okay. The <clears throat> Ben Ishai says, the Pasuk says, and Hashem made for Adam and his wife clothing of skins, and he dressed them. And the Zohar says, before the Chet, they were dressed as Malachim. They were dressed in Kosnos or garments of light. But after the Chet, they were now kosnos or of skins. So he's taking a little bit different approach, right, of understanding Ravi Meir, saying that it was or and now it's or. It was or light with an olive, which is revealed, and it now becomes or with an iron, which is hidden to the eye, the iron, right? It's the mm. it's hidden to the eye, yeah. He says, now the, the 25th word in the Torah, you may know this from Hanukkah Shiorim, is or. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay, the 25th letter is or, is light. He or. But now the light is hidden and becomes blinded. And so Hashem says to him, Ayeka, where are you? Which is A, Aleph Yud, which is like a shortened version of Afo. Kaf hey, where is your kaf hey? Where's your 25? Where, where's your light? Your light's missing. It's, it's a hint within the word, yeah. It's a, it's a hint within the word to what is actually happening, meaning where are you? Where's the real you? You know what you see in that? Where's your light? It's, you see how it means the same thing? Where's your 25th? Where's your light? It means the same thing as where are you? Because I can, I, I can find you. I can see your hair and your skin and your nails. And, but, but that's not you. Where's you? 
you're not visible. You yourself no longer are, are beaming out from where you are. Rabbi Tatz puts it, he said, it used to be when you looked at a person, all you saw was their spirituality because it was so bright. And now when we look at somebody, the spirituality is so dimmed behind the body that what we see is the body, and maybe if we look hard, we'll catch a glimmer of their spiritual light. But it used to be it was so bright. It's like when, a, when the bulb is so bright that if you look towards it, all you see is the light. You don't see the bulb. But when it's not a very bright light, you see the bulb too, right? If, don't look at the sun, right? Kids, don't try this at home. Look, you don't really see the sun because the light is so bright. If you look at the moon, you do. It's all the same process, the sun, the moon. The, these are all the same ideas, yeah. But we turn, yeah. So the, uh, these are all the same ideas. Like we, we could go off in any one of these directions pretty I mean, funky I don't know if it's really forever. Awful. When you have somebody who's sort of shallow, does that mean that they're not Basically, their their soul isn't closed enough. Their soul isn't. If the person is shallow, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it means. Maybe it means they're not very bright. <laughs> well, I, I, I didn't mean illuminated, like because <laughs> okay. uh, in fact we can't make any judgment about a soul, right? Souls have an aspect of infinity to them as being an extension of God that that makes them all essentially equally valuable, which is why you see that reflected in halacha as well. Right? We, don't, we don't judge somebody based on the value of their soul as being more worthy for being put on a life support machine or anything like that. Like you could theoretically have because of their deeds, because already you can't compare from the soul. But. A true Russia has it gone. It's gone. I, I don't know. I don't know that you could say that. I, I really don't know that you could say that. Um, I, I don't know that you could say that. It, I don't know what, what happens when a soul is, has kares. When a soul, in doing certain kinds of sins, cuts itself off from God, I can't say. But generally speaking, no matter how, I think from our point of view, let's put it this way, not being members of the based in Shalmala, the on high tribunal, okay? Not being members of the based in Shalmala, we're not called upon to judge what's going on with someone's soul. As far as we know, everyone's soul has equal value and equal potential to do good. Everyone could do good. I don't know, equal potential, but each one has its own, its own full potential to do good. And we have absolutely historical precedent that even someone who has gone as far as possible down the wrong road can turn around at the last minute. People that we would be sure that we should have written off long ago, there's no way this person will come back. Right? There's a, what is his name, Elazar Ben Dordai. It's one of those Gemaras they don't like to tell you about so often, right? That he, he, uh, he had an addiction to prostitutes. And he was always looking for something more and something more and something more. And finally, he heard about some woman who was very expensive and very far away. And I remember the whole story. Anyway, um, she kind of said to him, you, are, you, you know you're hopeless, like, he was living the life, the literal Epicurean, right? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we'll die. Like, that's how he lived his life. And then he was as far gone as you could get. This is not a righteous person. It's pretty far from a righteous person. And when he suddenly realized there's no hope for me, like, all along, he'd kind of been carried along by the idea that, well, I always could be good if I, and he, like, no. 
you, you've gone too far. You could never turn around. And he cried out to the heavens, pray for me. Shemayim, daven for me. Ask God to, to help me. And they said, no. And he said, earth, daven for me. Okay, these are all, you know, the heavens and earth testifying for us in general. It's something we do see in Shema. And the earth's like, no. <laughs> no, nobody's going to help. And he suddenly thought, Ein hadavar This, There's no one who will help me other than myself. I have no one to turn to. And, I'm, and, and if I'm the only one who can help me, and I have now gone so far down the path of wickedness that there's no return, then I'm in really big trouble. And I always thought someone else will bail me out. But maybe it's up to me, and I'm too far gone. And he cried, and he cried, and he cried, and he cried, until he died. He, he died from crying. He felt and so Abbas Polk, he, he felt so sorry that there was no hope for him, and he wanted so badly. It, in realizing that he had no hope, he suddenly realized that he didn't want to have no hope. You know, sometimes you get to rock bottom, it's not even that you see the results of what you've done, but it's realizing that maybe you have no hope to ever get back again. That's terrible. That's like life feeling valueless. Yeah. And he, cr he cried himself to death. And Abbas Kol came out and said, some people acquire their olam haba in an hour. So uh, can, we ever, can we ever say that a rasha could go so far that he can't come back? I don't know. I think there's at least precedent to say not. But... We don't get to judge. It's a good thing. It's a, thing. <laughs> it's a very good thing. It's a very good thing. Not to mention that we might have to be held by our own standards. Okay. All right. So we've quoted many times the Shula, who said, Malvushim heim levush haguf, clothing is the clothing of the body. The body is the clothing of the soul. And the purification of the clothing helps us achieve purification of the body. The purification of the body helps us achieve purification of the soul. Purification in general is associated with restraint. So if we think of the soul as, this, as being clothed in its spacesuit, of a goof, it's astronaut's outfit, right? So that it can function in this world. The chushim, the senses, right? Our sight, our touch, these are all coming toward, an, or let's say affecting the soul by means of the body. The body then becomes the filter and the channel for this world to be sensed by the soul and for the soul to act upon the world, right? That's all achieved through the tool of this body. Another comparison was like those glove things in the incubators mm -hmm. for the really ultra preemies, right? So that you can interact with the baby, you put the gloves on so that you can reach in. So our clothing, our clothing and serving our bodies similarly to the way that our bodies serve our souls means that our clothing is also acting in two directions, right? Our clothing is allowing us to interact with the world and the world to interact with us. And that's the aspect of the kavod, of expressing the identity of the person, 
and saying, this is not an animal, this is a person. And what kind of person am I conveying to the world? The clothing Hashem made for Adam, clothing helps us control the animal in ourselves. We've talked about that a lot of times. The clothing Hashem made for Adam helped him control all animal nature, not only his own animal nature, because that was the prototypical clothing. That was the ultimate clothing. So when you were wearing this garment that God made for Adam, all animals would submit quietly. They recognized this is a human. I'm an animal. The human, the intellect, must always control the animal. Even within ourselves, we have animal nature that has to be controlled. We said, we're not trying to get rid of it. We just need to control it and channel it and direct it properly. And so all animals sense that, not only the animal of the human. So Asav, why did Asav become this mighty hunter? He had these clothes. Animals would just roll over in front of him. He had nothing to ever be afraid of. When you were wearing the clothing of Adam, you had absolute control over animal nature. Absolute control over animal nature. Not only your own. But that's the first clothing. All clothing after that, we're striving not to get control over lions and tigers and bears, right? Let's try and get control over this beast. I have a question. Yeah. So was there an issue when Adam ate from the, when Adam and Chava ate from the Eitzhadas about the animalistic natures of the other animals? In other words, why would, as a result of Adam and Chava eating from the, from the tree yeah. and therefore becoming, losing their life, then the making of the garments that Hashem made for them affect the other animals. How were they? It's a good question. I don't perfectly know the answer. I, I, very, I, I don't know the answer. Okay. <laughs> Not perfectly. I don't know the answer. Adam and Chava, even after the sin, that weren't allowed to eat animals. It was only after the time of Noah that it was permitted to eat animals, which is a different aspect of the relationship between man and animal. Um, uh, we have a very close relationship with animals, right? For example, to bring a korban, you have to be sacrificing, sacrifice is such a bad word. You're trying to not only control your animal self, but say, my animal self is completely dedicated to God. I would be willing to die for God. We do the, in Shema, we'll work on this. Like this is serious business, right? When you bring a korban, you're also doing that. Okay? You have to lean on the animal. You ever heard of smicha? Not, not the kind that rabbis get. <laughs> it's a related, related topic. I mean, the word is, is related, right? Because passing one thing by the hands through. You actually have to lean on the animal enough that if you would remove the animal, you would lose your balance. The animal is supporting you. The animal is supporting you, so whether it's your animal or this external animal. Right? So <clears throat> Eliyahu on Har HaKarmel, when Eliyahu was with the you know, prophets of the Baal, there was this Avodah called Baal, and a lot of Jews were worshipping the Baal, and they had a sort of korban contest on Har HaKarmel, whose mm-hmm. who's will be accepted, right? In the meantime, they've got little people hiding inside the Mizbeach to set the fire from inside, because, like, 
<laughs> what are you going to do? Hashem's not going to light that fire, right? And there were, they had two cows, identical cows. One's going to go on the, car, on the Mizbeach for Hashem, and one's going to go on the Mizbeach for the Baal, because that's the, that's the competition here to prove that God is really God. And that second cow said, excuse me, I'm not, are you kidding? You're going to put me up there with the Baal? For this I was created? You put me on the Mizbeach, you know, my brother gets to go on the Mizbeach for Hashem. Fine, I will have no complaints. The Mizbeach for the Baal, what kind of life is that? That's a purpose in life? Okay, because an animal doesn't have, it has a, an animal soul, but it doesn't have a soul that's a neshama. Right? So its whole purpose of life has to be fulfilled in this life. It wants the most out of it. You kidding? It doesn't it doesn't have an eternity necessarily to look forward to. Right now, what kind of life is that? Animals also have a purpose in life. You're gonna go on the Mizbeach of the Baal. So Eliyahu said the truth is, if you go up onto the Mizbeach of the Baal, you're going to be Makalishim Shemayim in a huge way in a way that won't be matched for hundreds and hundreds of years. Right? All, everyone called out, Hashem Melech, Hashem Malach, Hashem Yimloch, it was a big deal. Big deal. Hashem Hualokim, right? He said, this is the Kiddush Hashem, that you're going to be there, and, and it won't work. You're being sacrificed to the Baal, but there is no Baal. And the cow said, look, if you're willing, you will lead me over onto the Mizbeach, I'll go. Not if anyone else does. I only believe you. Meaning, if Eliyahu Anavi is willing to put an animal up onto a Mizbeach to the Baal, then he believes him that that's actually for the sake of God, not for the sake of the Baal. So he did. He walked him over. <laughs> animals, the relationship between animals and people, animals are relying on us to connect this world to the next world. We, we are the bridge, right? Malachim are like over there, and there's animals over here, and... We're combining this. That, that's a role. That's an important role. Animals are relying on us for this. So, okay. I'm going to have to finish because I have a plane to catch. We talked about Yaakov and that when, uh, when Yaakov came into the room, it says that Yitzchak smelled the, smelling, smel smelled the smell of his clothes and blessed him. Amar Rabbi Yochanan, he smelled the smell of his clothes. Which clothes? You talking about the goat skins Rivka put on his arms? There is, a, yeah, exactly. He says, there's no smell that's more off-putting <laughs> than the skin of a goat. <laughs> that's not, you're going to walk in with goat skins on your arms. He's not going to say, ah, right? Like, what, what smell? Therefore, we understand it wasn't those clothing. It was the clothing of Asaph, which Rivka had loaned him. This is why he smells the smell of Ganadin. Not because Asaph was so holy, but because he had the clothing from Adam. Okay. Asaph saw the clothing of Nimrod, and he desired it in his heart, and he killed him to get it. And when he wore it, he was also a mighty hunter before the Lord, so to speak, as it says about Nimrod as well. And Yaakov said, he's supposed to be wearing these clothes. Asaph's going to wear these clothes. So after he got a hold of them and used them, he wore them to get the bracha, but then he buried them. So he put them away. Esau did? Yaakov did. Yaakov, Yaakov hid them away. He said it's not, it's not really fitting for Esau to have those clothes. Now, one last point, and then we will wind up this topic, Be'ezus Hashem. 
the the medrash further describes the clothing that Hashem made for Adam and Chava as being big day kehuna. Now that connects with what we said. These are the clothing that the Bechoros wore because a Bechor is like a Kohen until the time of, of the Midbar, right? Okay, so these this clothes make him like a Malach, right? This is a, a redressing the problem of having been clothed like a Malach through holiness. Now I'm going to give you this other clothing. This is Big Day Kahuna, meaning the purpose of wearing this clothing which gives you control over the animals, mm-hmm. right, is the same purpose as the Kohen, the Kohen Gadol's clothing, which also gives you control over the animals as Karbanos, mm-hmm. right? This is the same, the same thing. And there's all kinds of areas where they're the same. For example, Gemar and Erechen. Why is the Parsha, why is the part of the Torah that talks about the clothing of the Kohanim next to the clothing, the, next to the Parsha about the Karbanos? What's the connection between the clothes of the Kohen and the Karbanos themselves? The answer is both of them are mechaper. They help bring about kapara. Okay? The word kapara itself, kapara means like to help someone get forgiven, right? Mm-hmm. To atone for their sins. But it also means cover. It's where the word cover comes from, kafer, cover. It's, okay, it means to cover up the sin. Like you hide it now, you don't see that sin anymore because you have a kind of atonement. There's different degrees of atonement. There's a, apparently a statement, I did not look it up. I should have asked my daughter. She told me she learned Chaga yesterday. It's a very short Navi. <laughs> it's only, only two broken. Um, apparently Chagai makes a reference that since, we don't, since the Big Day Kahuna have been lost to us and hidden away, our clothing doesn't fit the same way either. Meaning, it goes back to this idea. The Big Day Kahuna are a continuation of the first garments that Hashem made for Adam, which themselves contain the prototype of all garments that will come afterward. Garments which are control over the animal so that all of us can achieve together, including our own animal, (laughs) right? Our real purpose and ability in life. And also way of achieving kapara, correcting the mistakes we make from the animal side. And the whole aspect of our identity and how it shows. And when we're missing that, the big day kahuna presumably exist, but they're hidden away. Mm When we're missing this, then our clothing is missing something. It's not the same. It makes sense. Our souls are also missing something. Our souls also, our mitzvahs don't fit the way they used to either. Right? Without a base hamikdash, without karbanos, without, nothing fits the way it used to. Clothing is just an external example of that. You just need another store to be open. Another store? No, I mean... <laughs> back to the base on Back to the base on Yeah, that would that, that, that would, would solve all of these yes, problems. That would, that would be the right yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so I'm gonna give you a couple nice little sentences and then I will see you again in about three weeks. Because next week I won't be here and the week after I don't think it's practical. Ravzadel Epstein beautifully suggests these are some notes from a Shira from Shira Smiles. Okay. Rosadel Epstein beautifully suggests Hashem's purpose in clothing Adam in these garments was to raise his spirits from depression after the sin, mm-hmm. to allude to his ability to raise himself again and invest himself in the divine light that existed but was now hidden from him. You can see how this idea would naturally come out from the idea of recognizing, like we said, I have inherent value and I have the potential of my deeds. Mm-hmm. And I need to recognize both of those. And the clothing helps with that. 
Um, in support of this idea, Rav, Rabbi Epstein cites the Baal HaTurim, who notes the word tor, that the Torah uses for the clothing, Vayal Bishem, he clothed them, is used only in one other place, which is clothing Aharon in the Big Day Kahuna. Uh -huh. Okay, so this, you, if the Torah uses the exact same word, it means it's telling you the exact same thought, mm -hmm. right? Because that's what a word is. So if you see it only in two places, that means that the same process was happening in both of those places. One is God dressing Adam. Mm -hmm. One is Moshe dressing Aaron in the big day of Okay. The priestly service was meant to bring us back to the state of man prior to the sin, when primal light infused the entire world and Adam himself. These garments represent the ability of Adam and the Kohanim to bring us back to a state of spiritual purity and inner glory. For these garments were to be lechavod uletiferes. That's the description of the big day kahuna for kavod and tiferes. It's, it's the elevate and the sanctify, right? One is a positive, one is a, a restraint. One is a putting out, one's a holding back. Lechavod uletiferes, for glory and splendor. This, that's the goal of everything, <laughs> all right? So we're going to stop here. Next time we meet, we will move on to the next bracha. And there's always more to do. You're leaving for Israel? Yeah, and in a couple My hours. My husband just left.